don't know. We we I think science is still trying to figure that out because there's a difference when they are in elementary school. So I think in elementary school as a sixth grader, they are the cream of the crop. They're the top of the food chain. There's nobody, you know, they're the oldest in the building. Most of them have been in that school all the way from pre-K to kindergarten. They get to middle school, they're the bottom. On this season of the PG Daily, we will be taking an in-depth look at education in Prince George's County. You will hear from some of the integral voices that are responsible for educating and enriching the minds of students in the county. You will also hear from students that have been directly impacted by the county's educational system. And you will hear how the Prince George's County schools impact the community as a whole. In today's episode, you will hear the daily news and for our big story, Dale Roten sits down with Dr. Brian Daniel, the principal of Chillum Elementary School in Prince George's County. And later, we celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month in our segment, What Had Happened Was, with Julio Anzaro Rivera. I'm David Smalls. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Prince George's Community News. I'm Vanita Newsom. Today is Tuesday, October 15th, 2019. Today we'll have terrific weather with sunny skies starting out in the low 50s with seasonably highs near 71. Light and variable winds southeast at five miles per hour. Tonight we'll have increasing clouds with a low around 55 degrees, southeast winds around six miles per hour. Wednesday will bring much needed showers in the a.m. and then more showers and possible thunderstorms between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. You'll want to have an umbrella handy and maybe even a raincoat with highs only reaching the mid-60s. Once the rain wraps up, wind gusts will peak over 30 miles per hour as cooler air moves in. Today's sunrise is at 7.16 a.m., sunset at 6.31 p.m., and that's our local weather for today. In local news, WTOP has reported a woman is dead and a man has been hospitalized after a hit and run in Prince George's County, Maryland, late Monday night. According to Prince George's County Police, a man and a woman were attempting to cross the intersection of St. Bonabas and Raleigh Roads in Marble Heights after 11.30 p.m. when they were both struck by a vehicle whose driver then fled the scene. They were both taken to the hospital where the woman was pronounced dead. The man was treated for injuries that were not life-threatening, according to police. Police said the hit-and-run vehicle may be a dark-colored GMC with front-end damage. WJLA News has reported that an on-duty Montgomery County police officer has suffered a fatal gunshot wound Monday in downtown Silver Spring, Maryland. But the circumstances of the incident remains unclear, authorities said. We're looking into all options in regards to this investigation, said Maurice Jones, the acting Montgomery police chief, and we're treating this as a homicide until we get all the information to suggest otherwise. The officer has been identified as Thomas Bomba, 38, a member of the force for 13 years. Jones said police have not found any evidence that Bomba died of self-inflicted wounds. They have no information on a suspect or suspicious activities in the area. He said police found no weapons at the scene 
except for the officer's gun. Bombas made a radio call reporting disorderly subjects on the roof of a parking garage near Ellsworth Drive and Fenton Street in Silver Spring about 8.50 a.m. Within a few minutes, officers arrived as backup and found Bamba had been shot, Jones said. Bamba's, a father of two, was later pronounced dead at a hospital. We'll continue to investigate this event and do everything in our power to ascertain what transpired, Jones said. Jones said they're looking at the body-worn camera of Bombas for evidence and whether it was functional at the time. This report is for anyone who grew up in D.C. and understands our culture and what makes us unique, and that is go-go, half-smoked, carry-out chicken wings with mumbo sauce. ABC News reports that Charles Jones, 46, co-owner and creator of Capital City Mumbo Sauce, the official wing sauce of Washington, D.C., passed away on Friday, October 11th, according to his wife. Charles and Arsha Jones created Capital City in 2011 to give a taste of home to Washington, D.C. Charles was accompanying his son on a campus tour of Georgia State when he had a heart attack, according to Arsha. Arsha tells ABC News' Jonathan Franks, it's really hard to wrap my head around what we're going to do, but we'll keep moving forward with our plans and the partnerships we have, and I hope that makes him proud. The business is more than just sauce. It's about the community and family. Capital City Mumble Sauce is one of the most successful bottled products, bringing more than $2 million in sales each year. It is stated on their website that the Jones family has grown a home-based business into a successful company providing a beloved product from their childhood to more people around the world. We're going to keep pushing until D.C. is on the map and everyone knows about our culture, and that is what Charles would have wanted, said Arsha. That's our local news for today. From PG Community News, I'm Vanita Newsom. And now for our big story. Dale Roden sits down with Dr. Ryan Daniel, the principal of Chillum Elementary School in Prince George's County. Okay, so you went to Crossing High School. Yes, I did. Um, what other, did you go to middle school? Yes, yeah, so I went to, I started at Avalon Elementary School and then I matriculated to Thurgood Marshall Middle School and then graduated from Crossing High School. So Prince George's County Public School product. Completely, wow. Mm -hmm. What was the best thing about going to Avalon? Uh, the principal. The principal was the best thing there. Um, and a kindergarten teacher that I had, Miss Jones. Uh, she, I, re I remember, and it's funny because she actually became a substitute teacher in the county when she retired. And when I was a classroom teacher, she she came to my class to sub, and I kept looking at her, and I said, you look really familiar. And she's like, you do too. So we went down the history, and then uh, she, I said, Miss Jones? She said, Ryan? I said, you are my teacher. <laughs> and she had, a new, she had been married, so she had a new name um, and everything. But I, I remember her most of all, my kindergarten teacher. I, I definitely remember her. And just the, the principal was very active, and the teachers were really active um, at Avalon. So that was, that was a great elementary experience for me. Okay. Now, I have found in, in my limited experience 
that the toughest period is middle school. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you as a student? Ooh, so middle school, middle school was very tough. I had, for sixth grade, I had went to, my parents had put me in a private school and then they took me out of it. And so I went, I was able to go back to public school. And so for third, I was at Thurgood Marshall for seventh and eighth grade and it was a huge transition for me for seventh grade. Um, I, I felt like I had more freedom. I got in trouble a lot. My dad ended up becoming the PTA president and that, that reeled me back in real quick. <laughs> <laughs> because he had a very active role in school. But I just remember having to navigate through like relationships and friendships and balancing multiple teachers and coming from the safety net of elementary school and just feeling like it just dropped off in middle school. So that um, that nurturing part that elementary has, it, I didn't feel it all the time in middle school. You felt that from some teachers, but as a whole, you know, middle school is just is is, is rough, and so it, it was definitely definitely a learning experience. And what about your experience in high school? Oh, I loved high school. High school, I was um, I was a cheerleader, so I was very active in all things school spirit related. Um, I I had really I had a mix of um, great and not so great teachers, um, and so I I learned through it all, what type of teacher I wanted to become because I always knew I wanted to be a, um, an educator. And I had an opportunity to work in the front office um, my 11th and 12th grade year and then also work with a child development class. And so that was the best part for me of high school, just, of course, being a cheerleader and then also being able to be a part of the child development class because we had students that came to the school. So the, the daycare and the center was at the school, so I really had that experience early of knowing that my passion was children, and I really loved working with children. Okay. Who were your favorite teachers when you were at Crossland? My favorite teacher was my English AP teacher, Miss Nurse. She was my favorite teacher. What did you like about her? Uh, she really built relationships with us in and out of the classroom. Um, she was tough on us, so she took on that mom figure a lot. And um, she pushed us. And she wanted to learn just more about what made us, what made us, you know, students and what, you know, what pushed us and what made us upset about different things. So I, I always said that if, if I could be like any teacher, Miss Jones in kindergarten and Miss Nurse in high school. So you said that you always knew you wanted to be a teacher. Yes. Did you decide this in like kindergarten or? Well, according to my parents, I used to teach my stuffed animals and my doll babies. And so I, they knew that I was going to do something where I was standing in front of people. I initially thought I was going to be a pediatrician. Then I found out how long they had to be in school, and then I decided to go for my doctorate. So I was in school forever either way. But I always knew, I've, I have always loved children, and I've always worked in daycare settings and camp settings, and um, that, that was always my niche, something I always loved to do. And uh, so when I got into high school in the child development class and learning more about education and how to educate children and the whole child, it just furthered my um, desire to be an educator. Can I ask about your college experience? Where'd you go to school? Um, I attended St. John's University in New York, and um, I decided to 
leave the area only because I wanted more experiences. Um, I, I wanted to have an experience that was different than my um, K through 12 experience. I wanted to be in a more diverse population. I knew that I wanted to teach and I was going to be exposed to students from different cultures and different backgrounds. So I wanted to experience that in college. And um, I didn't want to be too far away from my family, but far enough for them to have to tell me that they're coming. And uh, but college life was amazing. I had a lot of opportunities to work um, in the inner city. Um, I, I, I student taught in Queens, um, in Lower Manhattan. Um, even did some teaching in Brooklyn. So I had an opportunity to really be in neighborhoods that I was very familiar with, and then around students that I was really passionate about. So when you decided to go to St. John's, were there other colleges you were looking at at the time? Yes, um, there were. And, and St. John's was actually not my first choice. Um, I wanted to attend Temple uh, University. I wanted to also attend uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. But the campus, the campus was very city-like, and I was really looking for a true campus atmosphere. And um, I've always liked New York. And I, um, when we went to visit New York, I initially really wasn't feeling it. Um, but then when we got on campus and I talked to a lot of the other um, students that were on campus and then had an opportunity to make the, um, the cheerleading squad there too, I kind of increased my excitement um, for wanting to be there. But it took a while. So were you in school on an athletic athletic scholarship? No, I wasn't. It was a, it was it was more of a partial athletic scholarship. They give a, a small Chilean um, scholarship, but not a full scholarship. Okay, so it was still a athletic scholarship. Yes, and it came with certain rules. Yes, and... yes, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Okay, so can you describe what kind of rules and regulations were required of you as as a student athlete? Um, so as a student athlete, uh, definitely maintaining academic, um, high academic uh, expectations. Um, so there was a GPA that we could not go under. There were certain grades that we were not able to, you know, to get. I couldn't fail a course. Um, if I did, I would be put on academic probation. Um, your schedule had to kind of work within your practice schedule. And uh, so we had a lot of practice. Some, sometimes we have practice in the morning, and then a lot of times we'd have evening practices. So I couldn't really have any evening classes. Uh, so that made, made a difference. And we traveled a lot. And, and so you really had to be able to maintain your, um, your assignments and relationships with your professors in order to be able to travel as much as we did. Because at St. John's, um, we had a very – a high-performing uh, soccer team, and, and our basketball team, depending on which year it was, they, <laughs> you know, they were in the tournament, the Big East tournament or not. Um, but because we played at Madison Square Garden for all of our home games when I was at St. John's, um, there was a lot of, you know, really having to be able to work your course schedule so that it worked within your practice and the um, basketball and soccer schedule as well. Okay. So – was there like tutoring that you had to go to? Or? Not necessarily for us. There wasn't tutoring. Um, I know for other athletes there were there was, but I'm not for the chilling squad. Okay. Would you say that your experience as a student athlete sort of helped you to to get through the the college experience? And and if so, how? I definitely believe that being a student athlete helped me get through college. Um, it, it taught me first responsibility and management and how to 
um, you know, really manage my time so that I am not stressed about an assignment or getting work in. And then also um, really building relationships. So I think it helped me become even more of a people person. I, I'm by natural ability a people person. But I, but it helped me develop more relationships and different relationships. Um, it also gave me new experiences to talk about and then share with others and then eventually share with students. And I, um, I have, I've always coached cheerleading as well. So I really push the student athlete. And so for my, um, my cheerleaders that I've coached in the past, you know, getting them to understand the importance of education as well as whatever your sport is. Like you have to be able to balance both. One can't trump the other. They go hand in hand. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I don't know if I've ever met um, a principal who was a college cheerleader. Mm. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go back to um, um, when you were a cheerleader in in high school. How did that affect your educational experience at Crossland? Um, I wouldn't say it affected it too much um, just because, you know, it's, it's still high school cheerleading and it's not to the level that high school cheerleading is now. Um, as far as the number of competitions, but it did um, make me continue to focus on my education. I have always, you know, kept good grades. Um, It's what my parents instilled in me, and I love learning, and I've always loved learning. So I never really struggled with not maintaining the grades, but that helped me push myself even more. So there was a minimum requirement of a 2.0. But, you know, for our coach, she pushed us that, you know, we're, you're, her cheerleaders were honor roll students, so straight A students. So it was, it was a constant push. Um, it made me more aware of my behavior around the building because, you, you know, you come, become an athlete, you have a spotlight on you. So I definitely had to ensure that my relationships and friendships around the building were navigated strategically um, just because the spotlight is always on you. They know you're a cheerleader. They, you know, they'll let your coach know. They'll pull you from a game, say that you can't go to practice. And I never I never wanted that. Right. So let's jump forward now to, to your your current role. Uh, what is your current role? I am the proud principal of Chillum Elementary School, located in Prince George's County Public Schools. How long have you been the principal? This is my third year at Chillum. Were you a principal elsewhere? No. Um, I served as an assistant principal for two years at Calverton Elementary School, still in Prince George's County, and then worked in other roles and capacities around the county. Okay. Now, how do you get from your education at, at St. John's and your student teaching in New York to the principalship, uh, proud principalship mm-hmm. at Chillum Elementary. So can you take me on that path? Okay. Um, so this is my 13th year in the county. Um, and so my tenure started the 2007-2008 school year. So I started my teaching at Forest Heights Elementary School. Um, I was in the classroom for five years. I've taught third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Um, six in elementary school, not six in middle school, because there is a difference. Uh, and then after um, my fifth year, my principal received a promotion to a middle school, and she took me with her. And so that was my first experience being out of the classroom, where I 
built the capacity of teachers around instructional technology. It was also my first experience in middle school. That did not last long. I was only in middle school for one year. I realized elementary school was it for me. And I went back into elementary school after that one year at Nicholas Orr Middle School. And then from there, I moved into different leadership positions within the county. So I've served as a math instructional lead teacher and a school testing coordinator. And then I had the opportunity to work in our central office, the Office of Talent Development, where I mentored and coached new teachers. So I had 21 teachers around the county at four different schools. That were they were first year teachers, and I got to support and mentor and coach them through their first year. And then I um, was able to become an assistant principal, and then was appointed to principal. Okay, I want to go back to your middle school year. <laughs> that one middle school year. First, tell me the difference between sixth grade and elementary, and sixth grade and middle school. I don't know. We we I think science is still trying to figure that out because there's a difference when they are in elementary school. So I think in elementary school as a sixth grader, they are the cream of the crop. They're the top of the food chain. There's nobody. You know, they're the oldest in the building. Most of them have been in that school all the way from pre-K to kindergarten. They get to middle school. They're the bottom. They're the youngest in the building. They're very timid. They're very shy. They have to worry about lockers and multiple teachers and students that are from different neighborhoods because, you know, in middle school, different elementaries poor within the middle school. So now they have to navigate this neighborhood versus that neighborhood, and it's a, and it's a lie. And I think the safety net that's around students in elementary school, um, just that, you know, that elementary environment is very different when they go to middle school. They're, you know, they are encouraged to be more independent. They are finding themselves socially and I, I believe that once they get into middle school, something shifts inside of them. Something shifts inside of them. Okay, but that's the perspective from the students. Mm -hmm. But from the administrator or from the teachers, what's the, the difference between a, a sixth grader and a seventh grade, or sixth grader and a sixth grade middle school or a just that the six that that they they are now they're not the oldest anymore they become the youngest so and they're the oldest in elementary school but they're the youngest in middle school so they need more nurturing from the teachers I I, they, I just they or? need more coaching they need more guidance um, they most sixth grade most sixth graders in middle school um, they may not have as many teachers as the seventh and eighth grade um, cohorts they may be kind of in one separate hallway away from seventh and eighth grade. So it, the the transition is a little bit smoother for them or the, the goal is for the transition to be a little bit smoother, similar to what we do in elementary school for pre-K students or kindergarten students. Making that first year in a new school setting very comforting and um, just kind of giving them guidance and support along the way. So I'm just picturing this whole experience mm -hmm. from the elementary school perspective and from the middle school perspective. If I'm a, a brand new kid to school, let's say in first grade, I mm -hmm. transferred in. Mm -hmm. I'm in first grade and I'm looking at the pre-K people and I'm looking at the fifth grade people and there's a huge difference mm -hmm. between these people and, and those people. That's got to be more terrifying than the middle school where if I enter at seventh grade and I only got the eighth graders mm -hmm. or the sixth graders. Mm. No? Have you been in middle school? I have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, middle, but, you know, socially, those students are um, just that, that age group. They are finding out who they are. 
they are trying to be independent, but then they also want mom or dad to help or save them in situations. They're learning about friends. They're learning about just social settings and how to be in social settings. They're learning time management because now they have, they went from one teacher or two teachers in elementary school to four to six teachers. So they have to balance schedules and different things. And then, you know, the students that they have been with all of these years for the past five, six years, now it's two, three hundred other students that are now coming into the same school. So they're different friends, they're different crews, um, different neighborhoods that they also have to learn about too. Okay. I can imagine that would be challenging for the for the kids. Mm-hmm. I can also imagine it would be extraordinarily challenging for the, the teachers mm-hmm. to sort of be the support yes. for yes. those kids mm-hmm. as they're learning who they are mm-hmm. and who everybody else is yeah. and how that impacts who they are. Middle school teachers have a true gift. They they definitely I I applaud any secondary um, teacher, middle and high school, because they they get students at a very um, sometimes a very tough time. And it is um, so important for them to build those relationships with them and understand the middle school child and understand the high school child in order to keep and make them successful. So it sounds to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. that teaching in the elementary school is easier than teaching the secondary. I wouldn't say it's easier. There are different challenges. There are definitely different challenges there. Um, it takes special people to teach elementary school because in elementary school you um, you deal with different things that middle school and high school teachers you know deal with so where we we deal with a lot of um, we deal with a lot of behavior and social emotional that is sometimes those students don't really understand and, and or it's impacted by other things and it's the in middle school and high school they deal with it as well but it's a, it's a different level and so um, also with elementary school teachers they're required um, in most settings to teach all subjects so whereas in middle school and, and and high school if I'm an English teacher I'm an English teacher if I'm an algebra teacher but if I'm a third grade teacher at so and so elementary school I'm teaching reading math science social studies health um, oral written communication skills, some behavioral skills. So I'm including all of that. So every level has its own challenges, and it's a special teacher that you know supports students at that level. You have to find your niche. And now we celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month in our segment, What Had Happened Was. Here's Julio Anzaro Rivera. major moments in Hispanic history, Roberto Clemente helps change MLB history. What had happened was a champion of black and Hispanic rights who began his career before the end of the segregation. Roberto Clemente was the first Latino in professional baseball to reach 3,000 hits. He played in two World Series, winning MVP in the 1971 games. My greatest satisfaction comes from helping to erase the old opinion about Latin Americans and blacks. Clemente said towards the end of his career. He died in a plane crash in 1972 while delivering supplies to Nicaragua after an earthquake. Why does this matter? The trivializing Puerto Rican-born player not only built a stellar career, but also acted as politically conscious representative of the Latino community at a time when 
professional sports included few Hispanics. This podcast is brought to you by Prince George's Community News and Prince George's Community College, celebrating over 60 years of offering the highest possible standards in college education for the county and the region. Visit us at pgcc.edu. The opinions expressed on the Prince George's Daily Podcast do not necessarily represent those of Prince George's Community College, its employees, or its affiliates. Producers for the Prince George's Daily are Stephen Boney, Dorcas Ashinowo, Vanita Newsom, Heavenly Pickett, David Smalls, and Dale Roden. Music for this episode provided by DJs Young Carts and Scott Holmes. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our discussion on education in Prince George's County. This is the Prince George's Daily.